You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church. Well, good morning again. I'd like to encourage you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And if you don't have your own copy of Scripture, it is page 837 in the Pew Bible. 837. You know, out of the struggles of war come many stories of true friendship and personal sacrifice. And I recently came across one such story that tells of two friends in World War I who were inseparable. You see, they had enlisted together, trained together, they were shipped overseas together, they fought side by side in the trenches. And during an attack, one of the men was critically wounded in a field filled with barbed wire and countless other obstacles. And he was unable to crawl back to his foxhole because the entire area was under enemy crossfire. And it was next to impossible to to try and reach him. Yet his friend decided to try anyway. And before he can get out of his own trench, his sergeant yanked him back inside and ordered him not to go. He said, it's too late, you can't do him any good, and you'll only get yourself killed. Well, a few minutes later, the officer turned his back and instantly the man had gone after his friend. And a few minutes later, the man staggered back, mortally wounded, with his friend who was now dead in his arms. And the sergeant was both angry and deeply moved, and he blurted out, what a waste. He's dead, and now you're dying. It just wasn't worth it. And with one of his last breaths, the dying man replied, oh, yes, it was, Sarge. Because when I got to him, the only thing he said was, I knew you'd come, Jim. Church, One of the true marks of friendship is a willingness to be there for someone when you have every reason not to be there. It's a willingness to sacrifice yourself, whether it be your reputation, your standing, your well-being, possibly even your life for the sake of someone else. I've heard it put this way, a friend is the one who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Now, I share all of this with you because it illustrates the type of friend that we have in Jesus. It's true. You see, all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was willing to go where no one else was willing to go. Jesus was willing to sacrifice what no one else was willing to sacrifice. Jesus was willing to do what no one else was willing to do. He willingly endured the shots of criticism. He willingly absorbed the blows of insults. He willingly suffered immense mocking and beating and ultimately crucifixion. And he did it all so that he could be a loyal friend to those who needed him the most. Namely, us. This morning as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see a vivid example of this reality. We're going to see how Jesus was a true friend of sinners, a a true friend of people who were spiritually wounded and in need of healing. And through our study, we're going to be reminded that if Jesus was a friend of sinners, then we as his people should follow his example. Does that sound like a plan this morning? So let's, uh, let's ask God's blessing one more time before we hop in. God, thank you again for the opportunity to be in your word, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst, would speak through me, that I would get out of your way, and that we would be receptive, God, to your living and active word in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so before we read the entire text, I want to, I want to begin by reading the first verse in today's text. We're going to kind of set the stage. It's verse 13, Mark 2, 13. 
So it says this, talking about Jesus. It says, he went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. Let's pause there. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, needless to say, Jesus was the most highly effective person to ever live. And he never lost sight of keeping the main thing the main thing. Because for Jesus, the main thing was to teach and preach the life-changing message of the gospel wherever he went. And so today's scene picks up sometime after Jesus miraculously healed the paralytic. We talked about that last week. And undoubtedly, word began to spread like wildfire that Jesus, this guy named Jesus demonstrated divine power, and he taught with this divine authority. And so when the crowds of people learned that he was near the Sea of Galilee, they wasted no time in getting to him. And Jesus, as we see, wasted no time in teaching and preaching the message of the gospel. However, as we're going to see as this story unfolds, more than just proclaiming the life-changing message of the gospel, Jesus was about to show the crowds of people the power of the gospel when it's put into practice. So let's read the rest of the text, starting in verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, a story is told of a minister who had been serving at the same church for many years, and he had built a reputation for preaching very long and very boring sermons. Well, one Sunday morning, he got up to the pulpit and said, Church, I have an announcement. The same Jesus that called me to preach at this church many years ago has called me to leave and preach at another church. The congregation abruptly stood up and started singing, What a friend we have in Jesus. For those of you that don't get that joke, you don't deserve it. Anyway, but in all seriousness, today's passage reveals what a friend we have in Jesus. George Muller said the precious Lord Jesus Christ is our friend. Oh, let us seek to realize this. It is not merely a religious phrase or statement, but truly, he is our friend. I've broken down today's passage into three ways Jesus is a friend of sinners. Let's begin by looking at the first. Number one, Jesus saw sinners differently. He saw sinners differently. Verse 14, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Anybody in here watch HGTV? Any HGTV people in here today? Yeah, I see the heads nodding. You know, HGTV features a series of shows that all share the same basic premise, right? Every show is the exact same on HGTV, really, when you think about it. Whether it be Hometown or Flip or Flop or Renovation Impossible, The Property Brothers, Love It or List It, Windy City Rehab, Unsellable Houses, or House Hunters Renovation. And guys, I don't watch HGTV religiously. I just look these shows up. I have seen a lot of these shows, by the way. I do like it, you know. But each show features a house that needs a lot of work, right? Each, each, every, every, every house needs a lot of work. However, the stars of each show, they're able to see the house not for what it is, but for what it could be. In other words, they look at the house from an artist's perspective. Where most people only see the problems, they see the potential. And so each episode chronicles the transformation process. Yes? 
Well, in many ways, this is how Jesus sees sinners. You see, he doesn't see us for who we are. He sees us for who we could be. Instead of only seeing a mess, Jesus sees a message. His, he, he sees a life that could be transformed and made new by his power. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the, behold, the new has come. Jesus sees people in light of this reality. Levi, who would eventually be known as Matthew, was a tax collector. Now, in today's world, being a tax collector is like being a referee. You're always going to have someone that doesn't like you, right? However, in the ancient Jewish world, no one liked tax collectors. In fact, they were the most despised among the Jewish people. Oftentimes in scripture, you'll see phrases, even in this passage, you, there was tax collectors and sinners. Like, like, there were sinners, and then there were like tax collectors. Like, they were like lower than sinners in that culture. They were scoundrels. Chuck Swindoll notes, by inflating their tax bills and then growing rich on the excess, Levi had betrayed his people. He was a Jewish, Jewish man, but he betrayed his people. He rejected his heritage, despised his temple, renounced his God. Tax collectors had sold themselves to foreigners, which put Levi on the same level as harlots. He wasn't a good dude. In other words, to put it in HGTV perspective, Levi wasn't the type of house that people loved. He's the type of house that people listed. But again, Jesus saw something in Levi that most people didn't. Where most people only saw a sinful Levi, Jesus looked past that and he saw a sold-out Matthew. Where most people only saw a dishonest tax collector, Jesus looked past that and he saw a dependable evangelist and eventual writer of the gospel. Again, Jesus saw sinners differently. Another example of this reality is found in Matthew 9.36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, when Jesus saw the crowds of sinful people, he had this overwhelming compassion and pity for their spiritual condition. He was able to see what their lives could be if they only had a good shepherd to guide them. Again, where most people only saw problems, Jesus saw potential. And this was his motivation for preaching and teaching the life-changing message of the gospel wherever he went. And so church, as followers of Christ, it's worth asking, do you see sinners differently? Do you see sinners with a Christ-like compassion? Do you see sinners for who they are or for who they could be? Do you see sinners as your enemy to evade or your mission field to pursue? Because, friends, the sad truth, and, and, and you'll understand this. I may not get a lot of love for this, but you'll understand it. The sad truth is that something awfully strange happens to many people when they become Christians. Somewhere along the lines, their hearts grow callous towards those who aren't Christians. Somewhere along the lines, they develop a holier-than-thou attitude towards those who don't know Christ. Somewhere along the lines, we forget where we came from. The Apostle Paul reminds believers in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. 
following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God's so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Church, we need to remember where we came from. We need to remember that all of us, at one point or another in our lives, were a Levi. We were once sinners in desperate need of a Savior. And if someone didn't see us differently, if someone didn't see or treat us with a Christ-like compassion, if someone didn't see what our lives could be if we only had Jesus, then we'd all still be a Levi, yes? So all this to say, remembering where we came from goes a long way in softening our hearts and helping us see the unbelieving world with a Christ-like perspective. Now, it's worth noting that when Jesus called Levi to follow him, this tax collector wasted no time in taking him up on the offer. It actually says in Luke, in the parallel passage in Luke 5, 28, it says, and leaving everything, he left it all. He rose and followed Jesus. Church, it just goes to show you that you never know. You never know how God might be working on a person's heart. Because I'm sure that on the outside, Levi was this tough, gruff, intimidating guy. I mean, to be a tax collector, you kind of had to be. However, it's clear that on the inside, he was hurting. On the inside, he was tired of living a dishonest life. On the inside, he wanted radical change. And this is why Levi immediately got up and left everything and jumped at Christ's offer. He wanted to live a life of integrity and a life of purpose. And the practical application for us is is really simple. Don't judge a book by its cover. What you see happening on the outside isn't always a reflection of what's happening on the inside. Instead of assuming that God isn't working on a person's heart based upon what you see, why not assume that he is? Let that person prove you wrong. Instead of writing a person off because of their sin, why not do whatever it takes to win their souls? You might be surprised to learn, as I'm sure many were surprised with Levi, that some of the most unexpected people in your life are primed and ready to respond to the gospel. They're just waiting for you to share it with them. And this leads us to the second way Jesus is a friend of sinners. Number two, Jesus socialized with sinners intentionally. He socialized with sinners intentionally. Look at verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many of you guys will remember in 2017, our church went through our pastoral transition, and we put on a retirement or a going away party for Pastor Terry and Madeline. And if you recall, there were many within our church family, along with some close family members and friends of the Ribbles. We all gathered down at the Troop Civic Center. We enjoyed food and fellowship, and we shared fond memories. And the purpose of of that event was to give Pastor Terry and Madeline a great send-off and to glorify God for the work that he's done in their lives, right? Well, in the same way, after Levi decided to leave the tax-collecting business and follow Jesus, he put on his own going-away party. However, the environment looked a lot different. Because instead of having a house filled with fellow believers, his house was filled with many tax collectors and sinners. 
And I'm sure that this party wasn't your typical reserved Baptist potluck. I mean, the tax collectors and sinners ain't bringing casseroles, you know what I'm saying? This was a bona fide shindig, and right at the center of the shindig, reclining at the table, the life of the party, if you will, was Jesus, along with his disciples. Now, I say that Jesus was the life of the party because the party was ultimately thrown in his honor. Yes, this party represented the last time that Levi would rub elbows with his colleagues, but Jesus was the reason why. In fact, Levi used this party as a means of sharing with his unbelieving friends and co-workers, Jesus changed my life, I'm going with him now. Church, this is a good reminder that if we desire to share the hope of Christ with our unbelieving family, friends, and, and or co-workers, then we need to intentionally socialize with our unbelieving family, friends, and or co-workers. We need to hang out with people that don't know Jesus. Otherwise, we're robbing them of the opportunity to hear the good news. Romans 10, 14 and 15, it says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? You gotta go! That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Again, something awfully sad and strange happens to many people when they become Christians. After a while, they arrange their lives in such a way that they rarely rub elbows with unbelievers. In other words, they choose to spend their time exclusively with Christians. R. Kent Hughes, he said this, he said, We attend Bible studies that are 100% Christian, a Sunday school that's 100% Christian, prayer meetings that are 100% Christian. We play tennis with Christians and eat dinner with Christians. We have Christian doctors, Christian dentists, Christian plumbers, Christian veterinarians. Even our dogs are Christian. Notice he didn't say cats. <laughs> they go the other place. All dogs go to heaven, cats. Huh? But, the result, <laughs> but the result, it's true. But anyway, not really true. Maybe it's true. I don't know. I think it's true. Um, getting off topic, Butash focus. But then he ends by saying, the result is we pass by hundreds without ever noticing them or positively influencing them for Christ. And church, the bottom line is this Christian country club mentality is completely foreign in the scriptures. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Christians should spend a great deal of time with other Christians. Absolutely. We need to spend a great deal of time with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who will build us up in the faith. Because after all, scripture does say that bad company corrupts good morals and iron sharpens iron. So we need to be careful with how we spend our time in each area, and probably we should be spending more time with brothers and sisters in Christ than the opposite. Nevertheless, we need to remember that part of the reason for spending time with other believers is to equip ourselves to reach unbelievers. It's like love and marriage. You can't have one without the other. And so that being said, Christians who intentionally choose to spend their time socializing with unbelievers, it's a good thing, but you should expect pushback. And sadly, oftentimes the pushback comes from sources that should know better. Look at verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because that's how they talk, by the way. That's... You know, all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, his number one critics were the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the religious elites. They had a lot of knowledge of God in their heads, but very little to show for it 
in their hearts. And in this case, they were repulsed at the thought that Jesus, a supposed teacher of the law, would socialize with tax collectors and sinners. In their minds, these types of people were unclean, and they would, they would never defile themselves by socializing with such impurity. Well, in the same way, sadly, some of Christianity's biggest criticisms often come from people within the church. People who know a lot about God, but they don't operate with the heart of God. And sadly, it's not uncommon for believers to judge one another for doing many of the same things that Jesus did. They, they take great offense at the idea that another believer would dare recline at the table with a sinner. A perfect example of this is Pastor Chuck Smith. In 1968, the live-free hippie generation of teenagers was growing while his church was slowly dying. And at first, Pastor Smith wanted nothing to do with these young people. Like the Pharisees, he wanted to maintain separation from them. However, through a series of, uh, of events, the Lord softened his heart, and he began uh, inviting these hippies into his home and into his church. In other words, Pastor Chuck Smith was reclining at the table with sinners. And as a result, hundreds of thousands of young people came to faith in Christ and were baptized. Nevertheless, there were some in his church that didn't like his newfound heart for the lost. Nor did they like hippies coming to church on Sunday mornings. In fact, they were repulsed by it, and they criticized Pastor Smith for it. Well, needless to say, Pastor Smith remained resolute, and these self-righteous believers were politely shown the door. Friends, if you ever find yourself being the recipient of pushback or guilt-tripping, for socializing with sinners for the sake of the gospel, here's some free advice for you this morning. Resist the urge to defend or justify yourself. As long as you're doing things above reproach, in other words, you're not joining in on the sin, you're not sinning, then you've got nothing to apologize for. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. The Apostle Paul understood this when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. All this to say, you never have to feel guilty for doing the work of an evangelist. Amen? I'm not feeling the love. Amen? Doesn't count the second time. It always counts the first time. I've taught you guys that. Come on. All right, anyway, moving on. This leads us to the third way Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus sought sinners passionately. Sought them passionately. Verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came, I came, not to call the righteous, but sinners, but sinners. A story is told of an old elderly man who went to the doctor's office for his 2 p.m. appointment. And after three hours of waiting, he just got up to leave. As he slowly passed by the nurse, he told her, I guess I'll go home and just die a natural death. Wow. It's don't deserve that one either. But church, waiting for a doctor's visit can be brutal, yes? We all agree with that? Well, fortunately, when it comes to a visit with the great physician, he doesn't keep his patients waiting. In fact, he makes personalized house calls. He calls, excuse me, he's the type of doctor who passionately pursues those who recognize their need for him. Jesus responded to his critics by explaining why he came. 
Simply put, he told them that healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Jesus didn't come to call righteous people or self-righteous people like the Pharisees. No, he came to call those who are unrighteous and they know it. He came to call those who know they're spiritually sick. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. It says it this way, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Ironically enough, the Pharisees, the religious elites, were just as sick and needy as the sinners and the tax collectors, but they didn't know it. In their eyes, they were righteous. Well, as we learn here, there's not much Jesus can do for people who think they have it all together. However, if you're someone who knows that you don't, then you're primed and ready to be healed by the great physician. And so, church, there's a few points of application I want to pull out of here. First, we as believers need to protect our hearts from pharisaical tendencies. We need to protect our hearts from pharisaical tendencies. See, as I mentioned earlier, after becoming Christians, there's this tendency for many people to develop an unhealthy, high view of themselves. They tend to develop a big head. They tend to develop this self-righteous attitude. Why? Because they forgot where they came from. And this self-righteous attitude inevitably causes our hearts to be hardened towards those who don't know Jesus. And so instead of being filled with compassion for the lost, we're filled with complaining and condemnation towards the lost. And this is the exact opposite of who and what we're called to be. And so all this to say, as we aim to, to follow closely in the footsteps of our Savior, we'd be wise to keep our hearts in check. And I think a good way of doing that is remembering the words of the Apostle Paul, memorizing them, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. The second point of application I'd like to pull from this is we need to passionately seek after sinners. That's why Jesus came. Church, the entire earthly ministry of Jesus was centered around this singular mission. And he didn't let anything or anyone get in the way of accomplishing his mission. And neither should we. Because before Jesus ascended into heaven, he passed his mission on to us. He calls us to pick up where he left off. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You guys know these verses very well. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We, we have to develop a passion, a Christ-like passion around these verses, church. We have to. Because if I were to take a, a random poll of the church, every single one of you here today would say the world's going down the proverbial toilet, right? We all have enough reason to complain about the state of our society. But listen, the Lord gave the church for such a time as this. If every single one of us got serious about these couple of verses, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to be a game changer. We have to be passionate about it. So maybe you're here today and you want to be more passionate about it. Maybe you want to seek after sinners and, and you want to make disciples, but you're just not quite sure where to start. Well, if that's you, I've got a practical next step. It's going to blow you away. Sign up for our evangelism training class on March 17th. Seriously. The whole afternoon is designed with a singular purpose in mind. We're going to pray for ourselves, we're going to pray for the lost, and we're going to learn how to share the gospel with those who don't know Jesus. 
That's what we're going to do. And so if you'd like to join the class, all we ask is just register for it. It's totally free. We just want to know how many people are coming. Go to our website, gracebiblepa.com, sharing our faith tab. It's right up top. You click on that. You sign up. It'll take you 60 seconds or less. You can even do, I can give you permission to do it right now if you want to do it with your phones. But sign up for it. Join us. It's going to be a fun afternoon, I promise, uh, learning together and equipping one another to share our faith just a little bit better uh, than before we came to that class. So sign up. And last point of application before I close, there's one more point of application that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. And this is for those of you who've never trusted in Jesus. You need to profess your spiritual sickness. Instead of being like the Pharisees who don't think that you're sick, you gotta, you got to admit that you are. Most of us here this morning are here because we're Christians. At one point in our lives, we recognized our need to be healed by the great physician. However, there may be some of you here today who haven't recognized or professed your need. And So if that's you, listen closely. Everybody just tune in. Because the Bible teaches that all of us are sick with a disease, and, and it's called the disease of sin. And sin is anything that we say or do or think that is contrary to God and his ways. And our sin is what separates us from God. Not just in this life, but for eternity. And there's nothing that we can do to heal ourselves. In other words, there's no amount of spiritual medicine, like good deeds or acts of contrition or penance or whatever you can think of that can make us better. Simply put, without a Savior, without a great physician, we're without hope. Friends, Jesus came to give us the spiritual healing that we can never get on our own. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, was born as a man. And he lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross, taking the punishment for your sins and my sins upon himself. Three days later, he rose from the grave. He's a living God. And in doing so, he made a way for you to be saved and go to heaven when you die. And to receive this spiritual healing that Jesus offers to be saved, all you must do is admit that you're a sinner and believe in the person and the work of Jesus. Trust that his sacrifice on the cross was enough to save your soul. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, even a wretched tax collector, should not perish but have eternal life. And the moment when you place your faith in Jesus, you'll be given the free gift of eternal life. And here's the best part. You can make that decision today, right here, right now. You can leave today's service knowing for sure that you're a child of God simply by praying and asking God to save your soul. Friends, trust me. Trust me on this one. <laughs> That's a prayer that Jesus always answers. How many of you can testify with an amen to that? Much better, by the way. So church, as I bring things to a close, I just want to ask one more question for reflection. And it's this. Are you a friend of sinners? Think about it. Just be honest before the Lord, before yourself. As I've had to be this past week. Like Jesus, do you see sinners differently? Do you socialize with sinners intentionally? Do you pursue sinners passionately? If your answer is no, let me encourage you to ask the Lord, what needs a change in your life today? So that your answer could be yes. Do you need to repent of sin? Do you need to ask the Lord to soften your callous heart? Do you need to ask the Lord to help, help you see the world through the eyes of Christ? I think we could all ask him for that one, right? 
Do you need to rededicate your life to the mission of Christ? Or maybe you just need to come to Christ and believe in him for the first time today. Friends, whatever you sense the Lord is calling you to do this morning, do it. And trust him to change you and make you more like Jesus. Isn't that the goal? To be more and more like Jesus? And so at this time, I'd like to call the praise team forward. We're going to close with one more song and a song of response. And if you sense the Lord is calling you to make some kind of decision this morning, you could just stay in your seat if you'd like to. You're welcome to come forward as we're singing our closing song, whatever you feel led to do. But uh, this is a song of response, a song to say, okay, God, whatever it is you would have me do next, I'm all in. I'm going to do it. And so let me pray for you, and then we'll sing, and then we'll wrap our morning up. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to open up your word today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a friend of sinners. Thank you, God, that you came running to us on that battlefield, on the battlefield of sin, Lord, that has been destroying us and killing us. We were dead in our sins, but we are made alive because of Jesus. You picked us up, you saved us, you died for us. And we just praise you for that amazing truth this morning. And so, Lord, however it is we need to respond today, whether it's just um, getting right with you, whether it's repenting of sin, uh, asking for that heart of compassion. If there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, just may your will be done in our lives today. Thank you, Lord. Help us to leave here being friends of sinners like Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.